I don't know the exact moment I became a man. There wasn't a feat of physical prowess, ritualized pain or bravery, no ceremony to mark the occasion. Now, if you ask when I became an adult, something I see as completely different and entirely dependent on whether your parents still pay any of your bills, well, that happened way more recently than I care to admit. But when did I become a man? That one is not easy. Let me clarify, I'm not simply talking about biological sex, I am male, that is an easy check. I'm talking about the transformation from boyhood that happens at some point between the ages of 13 and 25, and maybe that gap is wider, but let's cap it there for now. That's the point where we put childish things away. Becoming a man happens when you put down your favorite teddy bear, never to pick it up again. We're told, real men are charming, strong, their voices demand attention. Real men are tall, dark, and handsome. They are self-reliant, they don't need no help from no one. Real men don't care that last sentence was a grammatical mess because real men don't show emotion unless it's righteous anger. Real men suffer in silence. Real men have hair on their chests, calluses on their hands, and beards on their faces. And I'm one for three on that front. I can't grow a beard, I blame my mom's sangre del indio. And I don't have hair on my chest, even though my tios all promised that eating spicy salsa would put it there. Now I joke the salsa was so spicy that it burned it all off. And I realize this might be TMI and real men don't overshare or share much for that matter, so maybe I'm not a real man. I mean, I'm not smooth like Barry, my voice doesn't have that much bass. I don't have a body like Arnold, and I don't have a Denzel face. I'm only 5 foot 9, I cry in movies, not just sad ones either. I do need help from people, even though I need to be better about asking for it. And I still have my favorite teddy bear, his name is Zach, he's older than my youngest sister. The first time I noticed I was a man was my junior year of college on Christmas Day. My tia asked me to lead the family in prayer before lunch, so on behalf of my family I praised God, thanking him for the many blessings we received, for all the trials we endured, and asked for all the graces we would need. Then I was joined by the rest of my family who was recited in unison a prayer we learned in childhood. For health and strength and daily bread, we give thanks to the Lord. A man is someone strengthened by their faith, someone who serves and is served, someone who leads their family with joy and love and compassion. A man is someone who needs help and asks for help, who knows they can't do it on their own because on your own means without God, and no amount of muscles, self-reliance, or chest hair can make up for that. Welcome back to Protagonists of Change. I'm your host, Darnell Miller, and today we're talking about coming of age, that wonderful and awkward time in life when you think you know everything, but you really know nothing. We'll be talking to Alejandra Herrera, the founder and director of Bendecida 15, an apostolate that walks with young Latinas as they prepare for the quinceañeras. They share the beauty of the Catholic faith and liturgy, the richness of Latino culture and tradition, and the symbolic meaning of the quinceañera celebration. She shares the story of her 15th birthday and how she came to recognize her call to service in ministry. Then, and who's that saint? We look into the life of Santa Maria de Jesus Sacramentado, a woman who lived a life in service of the poor and the sick, and who also happens to be Mexico's first canonized female saint. 
Now, let's jump into this episode. Take it away, Alejandra. So growing up, I recall going, attending to quinceañeras, right? Going to Mexico, driving nine hours or five hours just to go celebrate a quinceañera. An exciting time to see my cousins and family. And for me, I didn't want a big party um, or even, you know, thinking of like traditional quinceañera, I guess you could say, quote unquote, um, but thinking about more of what's something else that I could do. For a woman whose life work focuses on the quinceañera, it is borderline absurd that Alejandra did not have the traditional party herself. There was no salon, no ultimo muñeca, no tiempo de vals. But this something else would be the catalyst for growth and understanding that would one day help her discover how she has been called to serve. One of my cousins had said, hey, there's an agency that does um, trips for quinceañeras. And so I decided to go to Europe um, with 50 other quinceañeras, which was a great experience, not only traveling, but also just being among so many young 15-year-olds. I drove down to Monterrey and, um, you know, met with a lot of strangers, right? I had never met any of these girls. So I was a little scared at the time, too, of like, I'm going to make friends. You know, when you're 15, just like all those insecurities and being all around other teenagers. Um, and so a lot of them were just still like, hey, like, who, you know, what's your name and how are you? And um, one of the things that I recall the most is that that first um, time that I met all the girls, there were five girls whose name were Alejandra. My name is not very common. It's a little more common here in San Antonio. It's not as common as it is in Mexico. And so I was like, wow, there are other girls who have the same name as I do. And so I really connected <laughs> with those Alejandras because <laughs> I was excited their name was Alejandra. The joy of fitting in, a feeling seen and understood could be so affirming. And it was in that affirmation that the six Alejandras and 50 other quinceañeras began their trip. We went to, um, I think it's 13 different countries. So Italy, Germany, um, Spain, like just a lot of different places. And they had everything scheduled for us from um, our meals to just different tours to then some free time. Also, we attended a mass in the Vatican. Well, I mean, like the daily masses that happen, you know, mm -hmm. so there we were all there with all our religious items, excited. A lot of us were crying because it was just this one of a time opportunity. And so it was just, um, yeah, a time with being with other young women like myself. And I think there was probably like five girls that I really kind of became really close with. And then we stayed connected afterwards. It definitely let me reflect and realize what is beyond my circle or my own little bubble at the time that was in San Antonio, right? Um, to experience different cultures, to experience different languages, and just even the lifestyle that people had. But it was also that experience of seeing how people live differently than we do in the U.S. And just, not that it was a slower pace, definitely some countries is very fast paced, but also kind of just enjoying life in a different way. Um, and again, that was a lot to take in at the age of 15, but now looking back, um, I definitely think I remember that being like, wow, I want to continue traveling for sure and um, explore different things and different cultures and different people um, because it is important. It is something that shapes us, right? This trip opened her eyes up to the world beyond hers. It helped her reflect on her own life, ignited her curiosity and the desire to travel. It allowed her to practice independence. But perhaps most importantly, it showed her her parents trusted her. 
my parents gonna let me go away for a whole month with strangers? Um, that was another thing too. That, that was a big, they, trust was a, a right big huge trust factor. Yes, where um, that in itself was important too. Of like my parents saying, okay, yes. We're going to let you travel. We're going to let you, you know, we're entrusting you with these chaperones or the 18 of the workers from the agency. And um, and so, yeah, so that was also another thing that played a role in this experience, the trust factor. Alejandra grew up in a Mexican household in San Antonio, Texas. They were Catholic, attended Spanish mass on Sundays, received the sacraments, but Alejandra did not own her own faith yet. My family and I went to mass, Spanish mass every Sunday. And I recall going to um, more like faith formation when it was uh, time for me to receive sacraments, right? Mm -hmm. So at the age of 15, I do recall not having done confirmation at the time. I believe when I got back, um, there was a retreat announced at the parish where we were attending and my parents signed me up and I really didn't want to go. And I ended up going and it was life changing. But at the time, so that was around 16, I would say. Um, and the retreat, what I would say would happen there was that there was a personal encounter. Whereas every Sunday before that, um, the faith that was being passed down to me I felt was not my own faith. It was something that my parents were passing down that was theirs. But through the retreat, I was able to encounter other people like myself who were, you know, really engaged in their faith, had relationship with Christ. And it was something that I had never experienced or seen. And again, it was maybe because at the time also, I wasn't as engaged in youth group or didn't do a lot of things at the parish. It was really just kind of go to Spanish mass. But that retreat was definitely life-changing. And after that, I just wanted to continue going on other retreats, being a leader. And slowly, I just found myself um, always attending church and volunteering for a lot of different things and helping the youth minister um, with many things at the time. I think that as I look back, there was many events um, and um, traditions and rituals that were done at home that really impacted how I viewed um, the faith that and I think that played a huge role um, but at the same time there were things sometimes that it's like oh I don't want to participate in that or like I don't want to go to that or you go because of the food yeah as I got involved I slowly started to see uh, the deeper meaning of some of these celebrations that we have within the Catholic Church that I really began to have a love and passion for. This saw a change in Alejandra. Whereas she used to be voluntold to do things at church, she was now volunteering to participate herself. But hindsight being 2020, she does acknowledge that maybe there were a few positives to come out of the voluntold phase. I play the violin. And so I loved the violin. I had violin lessons. And my dad told me one day, I want you to play at church. I want you to play at Spanish mass. And I was like, no, I don't. I, I think it was in eighth grade. And I was like, I cannot do that. That's in playing in front of everybody. You know, it's very nerve wracking. I'm not good. And, you know, I'm not that good. All these things. And I remember, I think he said something like, if you're not going to play, I'm not going to pay for your lessons anymore. And that was like a breaker for me. Like I loved going to my violin lessons and I said okay fine like I have to do this but slowly that also helped me grow in a different way it was becoming a part of a community serving in the church um and also just engaging with the music and the liturgy I think also just as a performer you know kind of getting a little more confidence in myself and my playing um so that was also another experience where I didn't want to do it but my parents 
really encouraged me slash almost forced me. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I am very grateful that I did do that because playing at church was ended up being one of my favorite things to do and serving that in that way. Even though Alejandra's faith had flourished, the path into ministry wasn't immediate. She had other plans, good plans, that she was hoping to pursue. So post high school, I actually wanted to, because I played the violin, I wanted to be a violin maker, a luthier. So um, I applied to a technical school here in the U.S., got in, and I was all set to go be a violin maker. And then um, my mom had to have a few surgeries, and I kind of held off on going just um, for family matters. And it did, kind of just ended up working out. Um, which I was really, really sad about. And at the time also didn't know what I was doing because I felt like all of my identity lied in my career path, like me wanting to be a violin maker. And I, at that time, I had, all was also working at a violin shop and I think they let me go from a violin shop. So I had no job. And I, <laughs> I, I, I also worked at some other places. I had like three jobs at the time, but it's like, I didn't have my favorite job that I wanted. I was not gonna go to the violin making school I desired to go to. And I found this place where like, what am I gonna do now? Like, what, what, God, what are you doing in my life? You know, but I was, still really connected with the church um, because I had been involved and still doing retreats and all that and just found myself going to the church every day and be like, hey, Maudie, do you need my help? And then a receptionist job popped up at the parish. And so I applied and I got it. And slowly that turned into assisting uh, the DRE and the youth minister. And then that turned into a role, a full-time position for being a director or coordinator for religious uh, middle school, religious ed. Um, which then led me to realizing that I really loved ministry and I really enjoyed working with youth and young people. And so I was going through all those years, trying to figure out what I was doing, went to community college, um, and then realized like, oh, I really like this. And I think I can study. This is a thing you can do. You know, you can study <laughs> theology or religious studies. So I went to um, University Incarnate Word and majored in religious studies there continued to learn and grow and took some classes in Latino theology, which I really enjoyed and really, really started, yeah, started to learn more of like, oh, you know, all these things that I do at home. Now I'm learning like the deep roots, the meaning of this. Like I, I was, I knew so well some of the things, the traditions that we uh, practiced and did, but sometimes didn't know like the meaning behind them. Mm -hmm. And so now since I was really immersed in uh, the life of the church, uh, that, all those things made me really excited. And now Alejandra was in deep, serving in ministry full-time, growing in her faith, and beginning to recognize an even deeper, more specific call. As I, in grad school, started just um, doing some research on different celebrations within um, Hispanic ministry and the quinceañera being one of them. And quinceañera is something always like when you're reading that just pops up like a little sentence about quinceañera, you know, or something like that. And I just thought it was so unique that it was everywhere. Now, I recognize that not all of you might have grown up attending quinceañeras. So let's take a moment to unpack what's going on. In the simplest terms, it's the celebration of the 15th birthday. Quince is 15 in Spanish. But it's more than just a birthday. It's a coming-of-age moment, and it marks their transformation into womanhood. It's also an opportunity for these young women's families and communities to recognize and affirm their growth. Now back to Alejandra. 
it's something that people are so drawn to and are want to celebrate. And, and it kind of just made me reflect on like, why do people take the celebration? You know, like we were saying earlier, sometimes it costs more than a wedding. Why this moment, right? And so it was something like just there within me that I kind of just wanted to continue to like learn or investigate. And I was very blessed um, in grad school to have mentors and professors who guided me through that investigation of like, there's something here, there's something important here that you're onto and, um, you know, continue to do that. And so because of my desire to work with young people and also young Latinas, and my own experience of being a Mexican-American, growing in the Catholic Church within the United States, being bilingual, bicultural. That was really, I think, also another huge inspiration of what is being done currently out there for young people who are like myself. Um, and how is it being done? Is it just a translation of sometimes, as, as great as some programs are, sometimes they're translations, right? And you just really have to immerse yourself in the culture to really understand those things. And so the quinceanera is one of those things that like, you have to be immersed in it to really get it sometimes. And you know, it's not to say that if you're not, you won't get it, but it's just for those who, to educate others, um, to help you understand a little better, the importance of that language and the culture um, is something that's really important for that celebration for us to understand. And so it was just those all those little things that I found myself like, I like working with youth. I like working with young women and, you know, looking back and kind of seeing like I wanted more Latina Catholic leaders in my own life and our young women need this. And then also realizing within my research that not much had been done. And I'm like, what are we doing with quinceañeras? Like asking these questions of like, how are we serving our young women? And if we're thinking about Hispanic ministry and the growth of youth within the church, quinceañeras are a portion of that. I, in some of my research I found within just the US, um, probably like around 400,000 quinceañeras are celebrated a year. Can't say if those are all celebrated within the church, but that's a huge number. So just thinking about those things of, this is a moment of evangelization, a moment when a family comes together to celebrate and to be together, to celebrate a moment of life, to give thanks to God and to also ask for a blessing within a community. A moment for evangelization. Ugh, that is such a powerful idea. But how do we evangelize our quinceañeras and then prepare them to be evangelists? So one of the things that I have realized through the work that I've done is that a lot of families, when they prepare for quinceañera, you know, they might prepare from a year, two years out. And, you know, you have everything in line where it's like the DJ, the food, the dress, the theme colors. But when it comes to celebrating the quinceañera within the church, whether it's a mass or a blessing outside of the mass, that is something that sometimes some families might schedule that in advance. Sometimes they might leave it for last minute, but sometimes parishes in many cases have a session or two for the families in the quinceañera or a retreat and when it comes to the celebration the liturgy they don't know much about like what's happening so the goal is to help families and young women to understand a bit deeper of what is happening what are you doing how is this a reflection of also the communal life 
of you, your family, and the church, and the call to discipleship. Answering that question birthed Bendecida 15, and now Alejandra is working with quinceañeras and their family to reframe their focus, to elevate the celebration above just the party, and to dig in deeper into meaning. So Bendecida means blessed, um, and it comes from a place where all the time growing up, my mom would give me a blessing walking out the door, mom, grandma, and they would say, Mica que Dios te bendiga, right? So that's where it comes from. And I was just really inspired by, by thinking of what a blessing is and the bendición that we receive or that sometimes we even ask to receive that bendición from others. Hidden in the name itself, Bendecida 15, there are hints of the profundity of the moment. B the blessing, and then we talked about this earlier about la bendición that we received as children, being blessed by family members and um, everyone, and then slowly that integrating into now in the quinceañera, you're also receiving a blessing, and you will continue to be blessed, and you're called to also bless mm -hmm. others. I have friends from church that they always say, you say, Como estás? And they say, bendecida, agradecida y fortalecida, right? <laughs> so blessed, thankful, and fortalecida, like a lot of... Like, like filled with fortitude? Fortitude, like strong, yes, strength. Like, yeah. And so I reflect, you know, at first, like they would always say that, which I would love. And like, as you think about it, it's like, oh, yes, God has given us the gift of life and that we are, we are blessed. And we are, you know, to be thankful for the many blessings we've received. And through those blessings, we are given the strength to continue on um, in our lives and to pass on the faith to others and live the Christian life. You know, as I've been thinking about the Kinsingana industry, there's so many things out there uh, in the culture that's telling young women, the Kinsingana is this. This is the themes that you should select from. This is the dress or the colors, the music, all like, there's blogs and blogs and shops where it's like, this is how to have a quinceanera. And, and then I think, I'm like, what are we as church doing to help young women? You know, they're out there searching these things of how to plan for one. How are we helping them during that planning process? How to invite God in that planning process, mm -hmm. whether it's a year or two out and then moving forward after the quinceanera, that yes, this is going to be an important event and day, but our lives go beyond that. So to really think about us evangelizing to young women and giving them the opportunity to participate in the church through the celebration itself and that they have the opportunity to like i said earlier also to when they're thinking about the blessing itself and the mass of engaging as a community and as a family and inviting their family members to, to participate in it if young women and families are already going to celebrate a quinceanera, right? They're out there looking for things on, you know, how to do or what to do. They're also looking for a church to celebrate their quinceanera at, in many cases. And whether it may be one that they attend regularly or one that they might not know or attend, there's still that desire in them to receive a blessing and that they want it to be celebrated in the church. 
And so that's really important to families too. And so they're coming to us to, to say like, hey, our, our daughter is turning 15 and this is a really special moment that we want um, to celebrate here. And so being that moment of then us as ministers helping them to, to affirm that and be like, yes, this is a great moment. And we want to accompany you through this time and not just the day of, but before and after. And to think about then also afterwards, how can we continue to help you and the family to stay involved? In today's culture, it's so easy to believe that we are isolated in our experiences that we are the only ones to feel our particular joy or angst. But celebrations like the quinceanera serve as reminders that we are not alone, that we are part of something bigger than us, that we are part of a lineage that started before we were born and will continue long after we pass. We are reminded that the bendición we receive from our madrinas, our mothers and our abuelas, are the same ones that they receive from their madrinas, their mothers and their abuelas, and will be the same ones that we pass on to our daughters, our sobrinas and our nietas. And because of that, our culture, our love, and our faith will endure. Maria Natividad Venegas de la Torre was born on September 8, 1868 on a small ranch called La Tapona in Jalisco, Mexico. She was the twelfth and final child of Doroteo Venegas and Maria Nieves de la Torre Jimenez. Her father was a Catholic of fervent faith who, when realizing his faith was being undermined, gave up his university studies in law. This faith would be passed down unto their children. Her mother died when she was 16 and her family suffered from financial hardships as a result. Her father would pass three years later when she was 19, and it was at that time that she was taken in by an aunt. She was a pious child and spent her time teaching faith to those in her community, but she had a special call for serving the poor. On December 8, 1898, she became a member of the Association of the Daughters of Mary, where she and a group of women united in their cause served the ill. She would serve as a nurse, a bookkeeper, and a pharmacist in this role. It was also in this role that her prayer life strengthened and her devotion to Jesus and the Holy Eucharist increased. In 1905, after participating in a spiritual exercise at the invitation of her spiritual director, she felt the call to the religious life, but not in a congregation of a contemplative life. So she joined the Daughters of the Sacred Heart, a community of pious women running a small hospital for the poor in Guadalajara. It wasn't technically a real religious congregation, but a lay association recognized by the church. And so for 16 years, Maria Natividad served the poor and the sick until she was selected to be the superior general of the order in 1921. A few months after this election, the local bishop suggested that maybe she write the constitution for an authentic religious community, which could then be approved as a congregation. So she did. They would receive the church's approval in 1930, the same year she took the name Maria de Jesus Sacramentado. She died on July 30th, 1959, but today, the congregation continues to take care of the poor and the sick in Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, and Africa. On November 22, 1992, Saint Pope John Paul II beatified her, and she was proclaimed a saint, Mexico's first canonized female on May 21st, 2000. So let us reflect on the words of Santa Maria de Jesus Sacramentado. 
the weight of the cross is burdensome for those carrying it, but not for those who embrace it. If you've made it this far, thank you for sticking with us. This whole project is a labor of love, but we want to hear from you. How did you navigate your transition into womanhood or manhood? Let us know. Hit us up on social at Max Studios UST on Instagram and Facebook. Subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And hey, if this is something you enjoy, leave us a review. Also, share this episode with your friends, family, coworkers, classmates, someone who's preparing for their own quinceanera. Thank you to Dr. Richard Ludwig, Jeff Olson, Kyle Hyman at Spoke Street Media for editing support, and Bridget Richardson, our executive producer. And special thanks to Alejandra Herrera for sharing your story. Find out more about her and her work at bendecida15.com. That is B-E-N-D-E-C-I-D-A-X-V dot C-O-M. You've been listening to Protagonists of Change, a production of Max Studios at the University of St. Thomas in Houston, Texas. I'm Darnell Miller, and until next time, peace.